Amen. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Morning, everybody. My, how you have grown. And it always feels like coming home when I come to Signal. Um, and I was just uh, having a look around, and your mid-century aesthetic matches ours as well. We meet in an apartheid-built tavern in Manenberg, which I've been calling the Tabernacle, and it hasn't caught on. Uh, people don't like that. Um, the 90s worship rings a bell as well. Thanks for that, Luke. And just the relaxed starting time. You know, I just, I just, I just love it. I thought we were the only church who did that. But um, obviously the Spirit's speaking to you as well. So um, you're very lucky today. I've done some slides, which if you know me, you would know is like pulling teeth. I don't know how to do that. But I found a button that says, um, like, design this slide for you. Anyone else know that button as a game changer? So all it did was put an orange line on each one of my slides, but I thought it looked neat. Anyway, today um, we are going to be looking at, um, there it is. <laughs> if you like that, there's one on every slide. And can I just say from the outset, probably worth not clapping at each one of them. Is that okay? I receive it. Um, but we're going to be looking at a church reflecting the diversity of the kingdom. And um, I hear there are many new people here. If you're a Hindu today, uh, we're going to be killing some holy cows. It's figurative, not literal. Um, but what I mean by that is that we're going to be rubbing up against strongholds, okay? Both historic, personal, geographical, whatever it might be. Um, it's going to be spicy, I hope, but also, you know, like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I got a couple of words for people before we start. Um, the man in the glasses and the um, black uh, gilet, yeah. Uh, could I get you to stand up? Oh, yeah, no, you, sorry. Uh, short red sleeves would have been better, wouldn't it? Um, um, I just felt the Lord speaking to me to say to you um, during worship, um, just the words, give it away. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? And I just wondered if it's a resource, a skill, or an experience from a career, or even a testimony that maybe you felt you've kept quiet. And the Lord's saying, no, no, give it away. I feel like you're a man of wisdom. I feel like you, um, he's got a spiritual fathering on you to give away, uh, I suppose, decades of faithfulness to, to others. It's a resource, uh, and you'll get more the more you give. So I just felt the Lord saying, give it away today. Um, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> he has to say that. Um, and for the lady in the blue headscarf, could I get you to stand? Yeah, and, uh, and, yeah yes, you. Um, I had a verse for you, and that was the Lord saying, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and in due course, he will raise you up. I felt like he's saying he's given you a gift of communication. I feel like uh, he said you are made to be visible, to be seen. Um, I don't know if it's songs, if he's put songs on your heart or words. Um, but what I saw was um, dough in a proving drawer, rising slowly, unseen. And he's saying, humble yourself under my mighty hand and in due course I will raise you up. 
And so I just want to affirm over you that you are made and created by him to be visible and to communicate. I hope that resonates. <laughs> Phew. Definitely don't love doing that, but it's good to stretch ourselves, right? And hopefully there's an element of encouragement in some of that. Um, our reading today is from 1 Peter 2. Um, could we stand as I read? It's just a way of honoring the word of God, really. It's nothing more than that, no magic in it. Um, why don't we read it together if you can see it? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do take a seat. So Taryn has asked me to speak on, on diversity, and that is a loaded word, and... But what I really think as we read that passage and as we come to uh, various topics we're going to hit as we go today, that ultimately it's just what kind of church do we want to be? What does it mean for us as a gathered people here in this place at this time in this city to be a community that reflects the kingdom of God that Jesus preached about? And this passage tells us we share Jesus' priestly status. There's no clerical class. There's no human mediators between us and God anymore. There's no spiritual hierarchy. Pastor, by the way, is not a job title. We've turned it into one, but biblically it's a gifting. And there are many, many pastors here. And actually, we should all pastor. Pastor is just discipling others. And we'll have more on that later. And anyone know Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas? Not personally, but heard of her? Yeah. She once said this, and I'm paraphrasing. She said, I kind of believe God gave me an awesome voice. So if you're slagging my voice off, you're kind of slagging him off. Yeah. And so whatever you might think about the church, whatever struggles you might have, God thinks it's awesome. So if we slag the church off, we're kind of slagging him off. That's all I'm saying. And he chose... He chose us so that we might declare his praise. If you're new and maybe you don't know Jesus yet, then there is an exciting journey of him bringing you from darkness and into light emotionally. But more than emotionally, relationally, horizontally, there's a new family for you to join. And more than horizontally, vertically, there's a heavenly father who knows the number of hairs on your head, who knit you together in your mother's womb and is calling you home. And so the mercy, Peter tells us, that we have received, we are to extend to others. In John, Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. 
So the next slide shows us the first face of my three dead white guys for today. This one's called Martin Luther. And he died for the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, the Reformation. Protestant comes from protesting clerical religious hierarchies. And the verse that I thought goes with that was that when Jesus breathed his last, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple curtain that uh, guarded the Holy of Holies from regular people like you and me was torn, not from bottom to top, but by, from top to bottom. The Lord himself initiated the tearing of the dividing line between humanity and God himself. Thanks to Jesus. And Martin Luther banged the drum of priesthood of all believers. Each one of us is anointed, each one of us is appointed, and each one of us is called to declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness and into his glorious light. So we all have full access. And so we've got to become a church, not that it just is told what to think, but is taught how to think, right? The, the, the narrow gospel that we've been peddled and sold so long is what does pastor say? Whatever pastor says, I must do that or I must think that. No, 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 no. The, the kingdom is actually a renewing of our mind where we're not told what to think. We're taught how to think in a Christ-like way. And what that means is that repentance is not so much about being sorry for lots of things I did wrong but rather being sorry that I'm the kind of person who would do such things in the first place. Do we see the difference? The next slide in my run-up of my lineup of old white dead men is Rupertus Meldinius, which I reckon he's probably just called R Rupert Meldon. But I thought he was maybe just thought quite a lot of himself. Now, this guy um, loved Latin, obviously, and he said, in necessarius unitas, dubius libertas, omnibus caritas. What it means is, in essentials, unity. Non-essentials, freedom. And in all things, love. Why is this poignant for us? Well, because it's a dangerous doctrine, the priesthood of all believers. Because what it means is that it means each one of us is qualified to interpret the word of God. Each one of us is able to hear the voice of God and prophesy. And so then we get into a bit of a muddle because we were just used to pastor telling us what to do. And now you're saying each one of us is empowered to read the word, to hear the voice of God, and to transform society as a result. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well, how do we agree on this? Well, what about that? Oh, I don't know. That's a thorny issue for me. Well, what our friend Rupertus would say is, in the essentials, we're after unity. In the non-essentials, give each other freedom. But covering all of the issues, then the theological doctrines, we need love. Now, the obvious question that comes from this is, okay, cool. Well, um, how do we then, who decides what's essential and who doesn't? That is the role of the pastor and the leadership team, to work out what are the hills we're going to die on theologically, and what is the unique DNA that God has gifted this church with. And then my third dead white guy, the patron saint of the vineyard, John Wimber. He said, everybody gets to play. 
which is a really succinct way of summing up the Bible verse, Martin Luther's whole doctrine, and Rupertus Maldinius's Latin quote. Everybody gets to play. Can we see how disempowering a doctrine of spiritual hierarchy is? I want, I want us to feel equipped today that each one of us is empowered by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus breathed on his disciples and he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, sending you, apostolos, sent out ones from where we get the word apostle. Again, an apostle is not a title. An apostle is a gifting, an anointing given by God. And Luke 6, 13 tells us, Jesus designated each one of the disciples apostles. So we are all pastors. We are all apostles. Amen? You sound reasonably convinced. Hopefully you'll be a little bit more convinced. But when the Holy Spirit came in Pentecost... And Peter had gone from being a backstabbing wet blanket to the rock upon which Jesus built the church. When the Holy Spirit came through flames of fire, we see the importance of cultural diversity by the speaking of many different languages, right? And so a hallmark of the work of the Spirit, and I, I, I speak this into you guys as a church community because I really believe this is a kingdom truth, that a hallmark of the work of the Spirit is cross-cultural communication that brings a vision to unite rather than separate. Amen? So then to bring it back, the, the prophet Graham Cook once said, there are two Pentecost questions. The first Pentecost question is, well, what does this mean? And the second Pentecost question is, well, what should we do? And that is what I want us to look at. What does this all mean? And so what should we do? Because the fact of the matter is, I believe a lot of us have become fatigued by a gospel story too narrow for our complex and ever-changing world. Does that resonate? We may have grown up in the faith, being taught very narrow, a kind of controlling version of the gospel, often actually with little reference to what Jesus meant about the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to say this. My youth group basically taught me not to gossip and not to masturbate. <laughs> I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, oh, and serve lots in church. And you never know, son, one day you can be a home group, home group leader just like us. Oh, Lord, may it be so. If I don't gossip and masturbate, I can be a home group leader. <laughs> and that is the gospel we preach to teens so often. And yet the kingdom of God is so much wider and deeper. Don't we know that? Look at the height of these ceilings that you have moved into, by the way. Not only are you going to grow horizontally, which you already are, but the ceiling is a prophetic sign of you growing in height and depth. He is rooting you deep and he's growing you high. So as you grow horizontally and the ones and twos, the handfuls and the multitudes come in, he's growing you higher. And I was thinking about an aeroplane going higher and higher. And I remember someone once said, you know when you lift up the, like, um, the window shade on an aeroplane when it's dark? And just a tiny chink of light floods the entire place. And you kind of wake up and I'll close that, for goodness sake. But that is what God is going to do in your midst. And then I looked at your building and you've got these little light shades on the very 
thing. So you're, this is basically an, a prophetic airplane with high ceilings, and he's going to bring all of these windows open, and he's going to bring his light in more. And so can, how we, can you see how the gospel that we have been taught so often is so narrow and controlling? But the kingdom of God, that is wide and deep, and it's all around us. But sometimes you might just need new lenses to be able to see it. And, and actually, the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite thing to talk about. And it's basically the rule and reign of God breaking out and manifesting on earth as it is in heaven. It's the inbreaking of God's shalom, which really means nothing broken, nothing missing. So we can often criticize churches for what's wrong, but what about asking what's missing? Because what's wrong slams something, but what's missing actually fuels the prophetic imagination and the creativity. So what is missing in your church community? Ask that question rather than what's wrong. Theologian James K.A. Smith says that the effect of the kingdom of God on us is this. It is to align our loves and longings with God, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all and in all. What do you desire? What do you long for, Signal Church? And so as we consider this kingdom breaking in on earth, we have to understand in humility as we look at essentials and non-essentials, that no one stream of the church has the theological monopoly. Amen? Let me explain, and I'm going to go quickly here. Think about the silent reflection of the Quakers, the prayerfulness of the Moravians, the miracles of the Charismatics, the unity of the Catholics, the scripture love of the conservative evangelicals, the peacemaking of the Mennonites, revivalism of the Pentecostals, the questioning of the deconstructionists, the commitment to the poor of liberation theology, the music of the vineyard, the strategy of the early Methodists, and the spiritual disciplines of the Ignatians. Can we see how God blesses different streams with different parts of revelation and the kingdom encompasses all of these things? And yet so often we are, we are standing here thinking these are the things I mustn't do and repentance just means saying sorry for doing things I shouldn't do rather than being bleak and lamenting that I'm the sort of person who's fallen for such a narrow manifestation of the gospel. So we're going to look at a couple of aspects of this divine community as we follow the kingdom of God. And the first one, oh yeah, these are the five that I'm hoping to get through. Ha, we'll see how we go. We've got generation, socioeconomics, race, gender, and theology. Do you see what I mean about holy cows and strongholds? I once, uh, as we think about the generational diversity, I once was chatting to a friend of mine who had been working in a particular mission field in Asia for 30 years. And she told me a story of, in the 90s, she had some famous revival uh, leaders come through the city she was in and said to her, oh my goodness, we had the most incredible meeting last night. We had 27 addicts get clean and delivered from addiction in an instant. And she said, um, Pete, when this person, and this was back in the 90s, so she had a long time to process this, but she said, when that person said that, she thought, I felt so stupid. She said, what they were saying is that what had taken us 
30 years, someone else had done in an evening. But then she said, but what she wanted to ask them was, that is wonderful, but now what? What is the plan? Even if those 27 addicts did get free from chemical addiction, what is the plan for following through and walking with them for the rest of their lives? Where are the fathers and mothers in the faith, helping them work through all the issues and pain that got them to that place of addiction in the first place? Because so often in the Gospels, we hear or we read when people believe in Jesus or we're healed, but we don't actually hear how it goes after that. Each one of us who follows Jesus and has been set free from anything, the power of sin for one, will know that once we say yes to Jesus and start following him, life did not go perfectly thereafter, did it not? Right? And so when we think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, do we really think her man issues were sorted by one touch? Do we really think that any children she conceived with different fathers were all automatically fine? Do we really think that the, 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 the shame she felt in the marketplace and the shade that people threw at her suddenly dissipated? Or what about the demoniac in Mark chapter 10? The one cutting himself and self-harming. The one living in a tomb. Do we really think that maybe he, that he was freed from depression and self-hatred? Do we really? What about trying to find a partner in life? Did he struggle with that? Where did that lead him emotionally? What about his evangelistic um, uh, initiative to the Decapolis? Like, was that fruitful or did he give up later? We just don't know. But what we do know is that even the apostles as they saw miracles and revival break out, battled with personal issues, arguments, doubts, disagreements, and opposition, you know, just the minor things like riots, trials, stonings. And they were killed for their faith. My point with this is that the initial breakthrough from sin and dysfunction is not the, is not the end of your story. It is simply the beginning. Someone once said salvation involves having an encounter that leads to a choice. I encounter Jesus through his word, through the love of others, through a vision maybe, through prayer, through an unbelievable testimony, through healing, through whatever it might be, through deliverance of spirits. I encounter Jesus, and that leads to a choice. Will I make him Lord of my life? That is the breakthrough moment. The follow-through moment is a succession of lifelong choices that then lead us to encounter. Encounter leads us to a choice, that's salvation. Sanctification and following through is lots of little choices that not, lots of people will not see, by the way, that lead us to encounter. It begins and it ends in, in encounter. And it's slow. It's deliberately slow. It's deliberately quiet, which is why a lot of the time we don't have time for it. We want an events-based spirituality. Do another course. That will sort you out. But this is the gift to the older generation, and I'm trying to not look at anyone in particular here, the older generation, like, in fact, I will look at someone in particular, like the man who I called out, you have got a gift to give to others, give it away. Older generation in this church, who are you discipling or pastoring? What are you giving away of the decades of testimonies that the Father has given you? 
What are you giving away of your faithful plodding in a world obsessed with instant results? That is the gift of generational diversity. And that takes us on to the next one, socioeconomics. The kingdom of God, I don't believe, is about equality as much as it's about equity. It doesn't mean everybody has to have exactly the same. It does mean that God puts the poor first. Why? Because the world puts them last. Not because the poor are better or morally whatever, like upright. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we manifest as a kingdom community in an opposite spirit to the prevailing powers of the world. Amen? And if the world puts the poor last, we put them first is the answer. Okay. <laughs> and so it's the difference between the movers and shakers and the moved and shaken. I once took a young man from Manenberg who had just come to faith. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit in a, a shack that had been used for um, smoking crystal meth. It was a hot day and we were all sweating and, and we were praying for him, praying for him that he would receive the Holy Spirit and get full of the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues. And he knelt down on the ground and started weeping as he started speaking in tongues. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I thought, right, I need to take him to church. I need to find a church for him. And I took him to a church. Um, in, in a fairly well-off suburb out of Manenberg, and we sat there, and I was just so excited for him to, to, to meet with Jesus and make some friends, and um, the preacher basically preached about 40 minutes on golf, so far so irrelevant, and then, then said, think of a place that you would hate to go on holiday, and then he said, Maitland, and everybody laughed. Everybody in the whole church laughed. Holiday in Maitland, what are you talking about? And my friend next to me started laughing as well. He goes, why are they talking about Maitland? He got really excited. Because his uncle was the one man in his family who he saw as a success story because he had made it out of Manenberg and now lived in Maitland. And this was where my young friend used to leave Manenberg and go and stay with him because this was where he went on holiday. And I had brought him to this church to be affirmed in who he was and to hear about a kingdom that encompasses everybody. And he left humiliated. Do those that we view as poor have a voice in our church community? Why are they quiet? What systems are at play in our church community that might keep them from speaking? Or maybe they are speaking, in which case we need to shut up. The poor are always prophetic, but they just speak quietly. The next slide tells us in Galatians 2 that we all have a unique calling. Okay? I live in Manenberg. Great. Some people think that makes me better or worse or more problematic or more whatever for people, whatever, irrelevant. The idea, of course, is not that I come here today and try and recruit everybody at Signal to move to Manenberg. That would be a disaster. It would be awful. Please do not. What we read in this is that Peter went to the Gentiles. Paul went to the Gentiles. The others went to the Jews. 
That was absolutely fine. There's a unique calling and destiny on each one of our lives. But they asked one thing, verse 10, that we should continue to remember the poor. So the, another hallmark of any apostolic mission or ministry is the remembering of the poor. The next slide puts that in a different light. Remember the body of Christ, the fingers, the toes, the head, all of those, the images that are used in the New Testament, and yet the poor have been dismembered so often from homogenous middle-class church, and we need to remember the poor. And then we go, okay, brilliant. Well, we'll get a feeding scheme going and we'll get some charitable ventures going. And, and Isaiah says, well, hang about. No, 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 no. What about your home? What about your clothes? What about your food? Because the poor are our own flesh and blood. How do you treat family? And so before we can work out what our calling is, we have to look at the lenses and the context that we are in. I think I've got a slide that shows that. No, no, next one. That one. This is our city. Every dot represents 50 people. So the more concentrated the color is, the more populated an area is. I don't know if you can see up there where it says Cape Town behind the dots. We're roughly around there somewhere. And if you can see, there's a split between Purple on the left and yellow on the right. That road is the M5. East of the M5 is where it turns yellow. The yellow dots stand for uh, Cape Colored people. The purple dots are white people. The green dots are black people. Forgive me for being this categorical, but I think sometimes we need to look at where are we viewing our city from? With whom are we viewing our city? Because how, we need to ask, how does where I live and who I'm in community with shape how I view the world? Because how I view the world will necessarily influence my understanding of the kingdom of God. Our opinions and views are not as objective as we think. And if our churches are full of people like us, then we can fall for that particularly narrow manifestation where we think that our demographic has the Christian worldview. But if you could go back two slides, please. Sorry, I got them in the wrong order. Yes, this one. Lisa Sharon Harper says that it's our broken relationship with God that causes all the other brokenness. You break your relationship with God and then no wonder there are relationships broken where we categorize and place and move and shake others who are, quote, different from us. And Chris Hertz says, friendships that cross divisions of class, education, race, gender, ethnicity, age and ability are crucial for what? Reconciliation. That's the ministry of the cross and for the life of the church. Next slide, please, shows us my favorite cartoon. The laughter means that we're getting it, I think. Do you see it's not so much what we're looking at as much as where we're looking from and what we're looking with? 
But the problem is that we tend to view our cultural upbringing as normative. And so we don't even see it, like fish swimming around in water saying, what are you talking about, water? And so you may have opinions on big social issues, but do you have friendships that span those issues? You might think you know how God is guiding you, but do you have diverse voices speaking into your discernment process? In Tree of Life, our church in Mannenberg, we've been on a two and a half year journey and we're still on it of trying to dethrone our cultural idols and pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God, not for me, the kingdom of white educated middle class patriarchy. And these strongholds take time to die. My goodness, there's been a lot of offense that we have all felt. But we talk about money, and we talk about power and privilege, cultural idols, trust, giving and receiving feedback. You know, not everybody does that the same way. If you're married, you'll know that. And here's the thing, as you guys grow, a a, a multicultural, a truly multicultural church that when you dive deep down is not just token, will take a lot longer to grow. It just will, because there are no shortcuts to some of these questions and issues. But then if you think about Jesus' disciples, he chose some uneducated fishermen. He chose a a tax collector and in collusion with Rome, which we might call far right today. He chose a zealot, which you might call far left. And uh, he also chose Judas, who was a manipulator and a thief. So it was hardly the most strategic group of people. Because you are in this church and because you, I know, are going after the stronghold of patriarchy hard, and exposing that. Will you forgive me if I skip over that one? Will you? Okay. And move to the last one. The reason being that I want to have some time for us to spend doing business with God together. And if you're here sitting in a chair today, you're on the prayer team. Pre-warning. We can't talk about the priesthood of all believers and then all go and get Terran to pray for us, as much as that would be great. So we're going to go to theological diversity to end with. And the slide for that, if you, for, if you go through a couple, that one, brilliant. Philippians 3, verse 10. I believe there are three keys to this verse. The first one, I want to know Christ. Anybody here want to know Christ? Look at that. That's about 50 people saved. Come on. I want to know Christ, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Sorry, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So where we go for our peace, Christ, is the difference between an ideologically driven social justice thing and a kingdom justice fueled by the Spirit. Our starting place and our ending place, remember, is encounter with Jesus. Amen? Which means whatever your personality type, there's a prayer form for everyone. 
Maybe it's intercession. Maybe it's contemplation, silence, thankfulness, testimony, whatever. Prayer really is everything because that's where we go back. We top up, we top up, we breathe in, we contemplate. I want to know Christ more and more and more. And then we go and do what Jesus did, which is the next slide. Next one after that. So then as we contemplate, we abide. We become aware of heaven. John 15, we become, we realize our, we are grafted into the vine. And as we, as we get heaven's perspective, we begin to generate faith, don't we? For the signs and wonders that are impossible for us to do physically or humanly. And yet empowered by the Spirit. Acts 10, 38. We can do what Jesus did. Remember, everybody gets to play. He anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil. Why? Because God was with him, which meant he went back to that place of encounter before he went out, breathing in and breathing out. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to see physical healings. I met someone last month who had been raised from the dead. He didn't do that on his own. He couldn't. And then I was thinking, raised from the dead, really? I mean, I read that in books. I mean, I read that in the Bible. But, you know, forgive me, Lord, for the gap between what I read and the life I live. But then he goes, well, no. But then, I mean, I, I, I prayed for four other dead people, and they all raised two. I'm like, what? And he told me the story of each one of them. I'm like, okay, one, I can imagine someone being a bit kind of, you know, we call it um, evangelistic, you know? Like, maybe you just had a cold or you just passed out or something. <laughs> Must have been man flu. But four others raised from the dead? We cannot do that unless we are empowered by that same spirit. Not even the most crazed narcissist would think they could raise themselves from the dead, except if they're God. <laughs> so we go this way, and we become aware of heaven. We go this way, well done, and we become aware of the world. Now a worldly consciousness will lead us less to the glory and faith and can often lead us to lament the state of the world. As we share time with Christ, getting to know him, we lament the world's state. We wrestle with the challenge of scripture and we're jolted out of the sort of warm fuzzies of heavenly mindedness and into the glory taking us into the grit, compelled to go to a dying world, in and out, remember? We live in a mess, wars and environmental disasters, paedophilia and racial oppression. It's enough to make you weep, and that's part of lament we should. And then, and then we come back to wanting to know Christ and his view and his heart and his passion for this world. St. Augustine reminds us hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Ever heard that? Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they don't remain as they are. So this is not a matter of just getting deconstructing, far, far left, angry, progressive, nothing's God, everything's God, I don't pray anymore, prayer's everything, church, I'm, you know, whatever. Like I've seen that happen so many times. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this righteous anger from the throne and the heart of God gives us the courage to engage with unjust systems and brings hope in a place of despair. Amen? Yes, come on, haven't even done the altar call yet. And then finally, the final bit is the prophetic is what brings us together. Do we see this? 
You have the personal prophetic, words of destiny, words of calling. Dave, you are called to whatever it might be. You are called to unchain systems from oppression and unjust historical ways of things. I know what Dave does, so I know this is, this is not fake prophesying. These are words of destiny and individual personal prophetic. That's what we did at the beginning of the service, or I did. But then we've got the, oh, and just, just an aside for this, like when guys come and live with us in our home for addicts and gangsters to come and get free from drugs and gangs and meet Jesus, one of the things we do is we pray for what we call their spiritual DNA, which is just we say, Lord, who have you made this person to be? Preferably, by the way, before we've met them, so that we can hear what the Father's saying is his original created purpose over them. And I kid you not, the number of times these young men are moved to tears as they read this list that we've written down, they go, how did you know? We go, we didn't. We just, the Lord does that. That's the personal prophetic. We need that. We need to be surfing the wave of the personal prophetic in order for us to be harnessing the systemic prophetic, which is calling truth to power. It's what N.T. Wright calls the double life of Jesus, heavenly-minded, earthly action, glory and grit. Both need each other. And so to conclude, because I've gone too long. The final bit of Philippians 3.10 said, becoming like him in his death. How do we access this life of the kingdom? How do we, as a family of families on mission together in this time, in this place, access the diversity of the kingdom that Jesus preached. Death. Jesus said, I have come to give life and life in its fullness, life in abundance, overflowing life. We love that. Let's tweet that. Amen, Jesus. And then three times in the next few verses, he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The way Jesus conceptualized the abundance of the kingdom of God was the laying down of his life. And we would be conceited to assume that we can access and live in and give away the abundance of this kingdom if we are unwilling to follow him to a death of self. And so I want to invite Luke and his band up. Please. Because if we can emotionally manipulate you with music, then the chances are you'll cry. And that will make me feel more successful. Now, I want everybody to stand, if you would, if you're able. If you're not, that's fine. Truth demands a response. Now, you might have a whole bunch of issues with what I've said this morning, and that's absolutely fine. I'm here to agitate, but it is done in love. 
But my question to each one of us this morning is, what is my response? Lord, won't you show me what I need to die to? Maybe it's a personal habit that you know is sub-kingdom and actually isn't God-glorifying. Maybe it's something no one else knows about in that sense. And this is not a witch hunt. I'm not going to get you to do anything weird. But in the quietness of your heart, I have a feeling that some of us are convicted. Where the presence of Jesus is, actually, we don't want to be in sin. We want to be right with God. Maybe it's an attitude. An attitude as we look at the racial makeup of our city. And we just had to stop ourselves thinking about, quote, those people. Or we looked at the M5 and thought, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go east of the M5. I don't know, but you do. And if you don't, then allow the Holy Spirit right now. Come and search your heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. What are the things that you are loyal to? that are inferior to God. Come Holy Spirit. And in a minute we're going to worship, but what I want us to do is that if you're sensing the Holy Spirit convicting or speaking to you, challenging you, bringing prophetic imagination maybe to the question of what is missing. If you are someone who has felt actually my voice hasn't been heard, well, the Lord's saying he hears you and today maybe that will change. But I want anybody who would like prayer to now sit down. So anybody who would like anybody to pray for you, please sit down. And those of us who are around you are the prayer team. We are the priesthood of all believers. So look for someone who has just sat down when I said if they would like prayer. Maybe lay a hand on their shoulder if that feels right and they're happy with that. And just pray, Holy Spirit, whatever you're doing, would you do more of that? Thank you, God. And if you're thinking, oh man, I really want prayer, but I forgot to sit down. Just sit down at any point and someone will pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.
I feel like he's releasing a, a lightness. I see, I see us walking on the tip of our toes, knowing that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Knowing that any sense of condemnation comes from the accuser and not from the father. We wipe away any commission of the evil one to derail this moment that the Spirit has set up.